The Nation State of Play podcast is produced by IBC Media in San Diego, California. Hi, and welcome to Nation State of Play. I'm your host, Brian Miller. On each episode of this podcast, we explore high-impact topics determining the future of our nation state. We have a very important topic today. Our guest is Jim Knox with the American Cancer Society. He is one of the leaders in the efforts to ban flavored tobacco, um, often known as vaping here in California. He had a huge legislative success with a great group of allies last year, actually getting this banned at retail locations throughout the state. But the tobacco companies with their unlimited resources have now taken this to referendum. And this is going to be a very hot ballot initiative um, on next year, on the cycle that we're currently in. So I wanted the listeners to hear about this topic. I think it's an interesting conversation, both about process in terms of how the referendum process can be manipulated. I think that applies to a lot of issues our listeners are working on, regardless of whether they're particularly focused on this one or not. But I hope they'll be focused on this one because it's a really important issue. Um, you know, Jim's going to kind of give a little bit of an overview of how we had tobacco use really on the decline throughout the country until the tobacco companies came up with flavored tobacco as a way to hook a whole new generation. Um, and the, the statistics about how truly deadly it is are, are jarring. So I hope you listen to this really important episode. Jim Knox with the American Cancer Society. The COVID pandemic has hit America hard. Nationwide, Black individuals have seen 2.6 times greater infection rate than their white counterparts. The news is especially frightening for African Americans who are at a greater risk of severe complications from COVID-19 due to underlying conditions such as heart disease, diabetes, and obesity. I'm Dr. Shirley Weber, the Assemblywoman from the 79th. Visit blackcovidfactsd.org. Welcome back to the Nation State of Play podcast. Well, Jim, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. So I, I thought it would be helpful to our listeners is to do a little bit of terminology here because there's, there's a few confusing terms in the flavored tobacco space. So could, could you help us kind of give the shorthands for what you use and, and how you'd like the public to be talking about this topic? Well, flavors is a, is a uh, kind of a broad strategy of the tobacco industry now, uh, and it's being used really to target youth and communities of color into a lifetime of uh, addiction and disease. Uh, so this can include menthol cigarettes. Uh, it includes a whole range of electronic cigarettes um, of all kinds of flavors, particularly flavors that appeal to youth like bubble gum and cotton candy. Uh, it also applies to these little cigars that are becoming increasingly popular with youth. Uh, you know, little Swisher sweets and flavored cigars uh, that are actually uh, the favorite tobacco product of African-American youth. Uh, it applies to uh, flavored hookah and flavored um, chewing tobacco. So a whole, a whole range of uh, tobacco products are now using flavors to attract youth uh, and communities of color. Okay, so it's not just vaping. I appreciate you pointing that out. This, go, this goes beyond vaping. Um, there's a few other terms here. I just want to get people straight on. So when you start to hear like combustible and non-combustible and vaping, what, what are the main ones that our listeners should understand before we get into this? Well, there's a traditional combustible, you know, cigarettes. Uh, increasingly, we're seeing the introduction and use of electronic cigarettes that come in lots of different types. There are some that look exactly like cigarettes or some that look like cartridges. Juul is the big uh, 
uh, provider of uh, electronic cigarettes. Their product looks like a little uh, USB drive that you might stick in your computer. Um, there are other tanks that use liquid for uh, aerosolizing uh, uh, e-cigarette you know, e juice. So uh, e-cigarettes come in a lot of different forms um, and have really had a huge impact on our youth. In fact, the CDC has, has labeled it a youth vaping epidemic. We've got one in five high school kids now uh, using electronic cigarettes or vaping as most people call it. And uh, we're seeing that you know the attraction is the flavors. That's why kids have started uh, this habit. A lot of them don't realize that it's addictive, that it contains nicotine, sometimes in concentrations, often in concentrations greater than cigarettes. And the tobacco industry is, is well on its way uh, to addicting a whole new generation of users. Yeah, and, and I think that's one of the things that's just so sad about this whole topic is you, you and other advocates in the space have made such progress in really like having tobacco on the verge of elimination in a lot of ways before vaping came along. So could you kind of talk a little bit about where we were before vaping came and how vaping has unfortunately reversed a lot of those trends? Yes, and you know, let me put that even on even a larger context, uh, because in the midst of a global pandemic, it's easy, I think, to lose sight of the immense impact that tobacco use has, both uh, from a public health perspective and an economic perspective. You know, globally, uh, tobacco use kills eight million people a year. It's well on its way to killing a billion this century. Uh, in the United States, tobacco use, uh, even though it's been declining in a lot of areas, still remains the single leading preventable cause of death. You know, tobacco use kills more people than guns, alcohol, drug overdoses, and car crashes combined. It's about a half a million people a year. So it is still an immense problem. Uh, we were having some, you know, we were having steady success in reducing tobacco use uh, over the course of uh, the last several decades. And now this surge in uh, e-cigarette use by youth is threatening to reverse those trends. Uh, there's an upsurge in tobacco use now because of e-cigarettes and flavors is what's driving uh, the increase in use to e-cigarettes. Yeah, I mean, so I, I just wanna dwell on that death statistic for a second, it's just stunning. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about something on the order of COVID deaths in America every year from or tobacco. More. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, oh, oh so, so you said it was, uh, okay, you're right, because the COVID deaths are over 18 months now, so it's, it, it really is more, yeah. Um, great context, depressing context, but, but great context. Um, so, uh, okay, so that's very helpful kind of setting the table for this discussion. And now I kind of, uh, before we get into what's happening in California, you touched on this briefly, but I'd love you to talk a little bit more about how these things are marketed, because I think that sets the table for the policy discussion, how they're sold, how you think California are typically attaining these things, just a little bit of an overview, I think would set the stage here. Well, the, the marketing is blatantly to attract kids, uh, both in the use of uh, flavors, you know, candy and fruit and mint flavors. Uh, it's been used in, in the the advertising to promote these products typically use, you know, young, fashionable, hip people, uh, celebrities uh, that appeal to young people. Uh, there has been, the advertising has been in uh, forums that 
uh, are used by uh, young people. So everything about the industry's tactics has been focused on attracting youth. So, so let's talk about what you were able to accomplish in California last year. It's really a historic bill in a lot of ways. And, and now, unfortunately, what we have to deal with now in terms of the next round of this. So what did the legislation do last year in California? Well, I'm going to take you back even further than that, because we've been working on this issue for many years now. Uh, and we really started at the local level. Over the past six years, we've, had, we've been successful in getting 110 cities and counties in California to pass local ordinances to end the sale of flavored tobacco. Uh, and again, that includes the entire gamut, menthol cigarettes, flavored e-cigarettes, flavored cigars, flavored chewing tobacco. Um, and for the past several years, we've been working in the state legislature to have a state bill passed. Um, last year, we were able to get a bill passed, uh, SB 793, with bipartisan support uh, to end the sale of most flavored tobacco. Uh, and the tobacco industry, not surprisingly, uh, did not take kindly to that. Um, they immediately responded by spending more than $21 million to try to overturn the measure through the referendum process. So they had to go out and pay for signatures uh, to qualify a measure for the ballot to let the voters decide whether they're going to let this law go into effect or not. So the impact of that, at the very least, has been to delay the implementation of this law. Should have gone into effect January uh, first of uh, 2021. It's not going to be on the ballot until November of 2022. Uh, and we know that the tobacco industry is going to spend tens of millions of dollars to try to do what they always do. Uh, and that is to, to confuse and, and deceive the public. So it's going to be a difficult campaign. Um, but, uh, you know, we have, we have a great coalition working on this. Uh, and, and we're hopeful that we'll be able to prevail. Okay, so I want to dig a little bit more into the bill to make sure I understand. So it pro the bill prohibited the sale of flavored tobacco in California. Would you, that's at retail locations, I take it, you'd still be able to purchase it online, is that right? That is right. Um, it's a retail location, locations. Um, the sale of uh, electronic uh, cigarettes and, and tobacco products of all kinds is actually quite limited on, uh, on the internet. About a recent study showed that about 6% of uh, youth that use electronic cigarettes get their products from, from uh, the internet. And the state of California has also recently passed uh, a major piece of legislation which prohibits a delivery of tobacco products to anyone under 21. So, you know, we're aware of that, you know, potential angle on it. We think we've, we think we've dealt with it. Okay, got it. So um, just in terms of context, where does this put California, assuming it eventually goes into effect in terms of leadership? Have other states gone this far yet? Well, uh, Massachusetts was actually the first state to pass such a law, um, and that law is in effect. Uh, New York is also uh, looking at legislation. Some other um, states are looking at legislation as well, but we'd, certainly, we'd still be one of the first. But uh, I think it's important to note again that uh, many cities in California have already adopted this legislation. In fact, there are about 10 million people in California who live in places where this is already the law because it's been passed at the local level. Um, yeah, that's, a, that's the size of LA County. That, that's bigger than probably all but about 11 states. So impressive number. Okay. Um, so let's talk about this referendum process. This is one of these very confusing parts of California laws for the rubric of 
uh, Athenian direct democracy in, in, in some ways. Let's just give a little overview of how this works. I think it's it's been a little while since most people have had one of these front and center. Can you kind of walk us through the mechanics of the referendum process? Right. Well, the, the, the referendum um, is another one of the triad, if you will, of, of citizen uh, outlets to, to put measures on the ballot. You know, one being the recall, which uh, allows citizens to to remove elected officials, which is what we're going through now. Um, the initiative, which allows uh, citizens to collect signatures to put a, a measure on the ballot to be passed, or the referendum, which is what this is, which allows citizens to collect signatures. And if they collect enough ballot signatures, they can try to, it would overturn a law that has been passed by the legislature. So, um, you know, that, that that is a process. Um, you know, again, the tobacco industry spent $20 million to qualify this measure for the ballot, won't appear until November, 2022. And it appears on the ballot as it appeared before the legislature. So this is a little confusing um, because we're not opposing this. <laughs> we are actually working for a yes vote. So the citizens actually kind of become the legislature and they decide, do we want this law or not? Vote yes if you want it, vote no if you don't. And that can confuse people because some people think that if you're opposed to the, to the referendum, then you should vote no. <laughs> right. uh, but uh, that's not the case here. Uh, the, 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 city, the voters are actually voting as the legislature would uh, for the bill, and we are going to be pressing for a yes vote. It, it'll be months, many months, before we even have a number for this ballot measure. So uh, we don't know what the ballot measure is going to number is going to be, but whatever it is, we'll be urging people to vote yes. So uh, I, I think one of the things that this, you know, we're, we're actually recording this on the day of the recall. So an interesting timing. I mean, what, and there's you know dozens of recalls going on throughout the state right now. This is creating a real discussion about you know whether these are a good use of state resources and a good use of state time. I, I'm curious as to how this referendum process has has made you think about the process generally. Do you think it works the way it's supposed to work, or do you think there's anything about the process before we get into the specifics of this one um, that are alarming? Well, I, you know, unfortunately, it's true that with enough money, you can put either put a measure on the ballot through the initial process or try to repeal a law passed by the legislature um, through the referendum process or remove an elected official through the recall process. So, um, you know, I, th I think that that outlet has provided a valuable tool for uh, citizen democracy, but uh, you know, the, as a practical matter in recent years, it's been used more by, you know, corporate America uh, and wealthy interests uh, to further their own purposes. And that's certainly what we're seeing here with this referendum. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things that I find most concerning about it is that, you know, the legislature was duly elected. Um, the legislature passed the law by huge bipartisan majorities, as you pointed out. And it's one thing to say we might have a referendum, but the fact is it doesn't even go into effect until that referendum. And, and so I, I'm correct on that, right? The law that is correct. Com, com, completely yes, stalled until then. So, um, you know, I, there's a certain element here where I wonder if the tobacco companies have won already and what they realistically hope to accomplish. If they got a few year delay, that's probably worth tens of millions of dollars to them, I would imagine. And if they lose, they lose. But wasn't that a good investment for them anyway? 
Yes, absolutely. There was no reason for them not to do this. I mean, even though that they're even though they're going to spend tens of millions of dollars on this effort, even if they lose, even if they lose, you know, they'll protect billions of dollars of profit over these two years. But um, you know, I don't think they want to lose. I think they will. Well, I think they will do anything and say anything to get voters to vote no. That has been their history. Um, you know, over the last. Uh, several years, the tobacco industry has spent more than $200 million to uh, oppose ballot measures to protect the public health in California. Uh, and I think, um, you know, they see the stakes as very big here. And I think they're going to spend a lot of money. And I think, you know, there will be a massive effort to to confuse voters to, to get them to vote no on this. Well, well let's Let's dig into that money a little bit more. I mean, these these ballot initiatives are getting obscenely expensive. Um, so, you know, I think Prop 22 spending was like over $125 million in, in the last cycle just on one ballot initiative. Uh, Uber's got unlimited deep pockets. They got what they wanted. Um, you know, maybe maybe they look at that as money all well spent. I see, you know, now, now it's hung up in court, but that's another story for another episode. Uh, so, so how much realistically do you expect the tobacco companies to spend on this? You said they spent over 200 million in the last few years. Again, we're seeing some ballot initiatives inch up over hundred million for one cycle. I got to think yeah. tobacco is good for what Uber spent, right? Uh, there, there is no limit to what the tobacco industry could spend. Um, you know, the last three measures that have been on the ballot have been in the range of 50 to $70 million that they've spent. Um, I would expect them to spend more uh, on this unless the polling shows that they absolutely can't do it. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But uh, the tobacco industry is a formidable industry and they will stoop to anything to try to get their way. Do you think you need to go dollar for dollar for them to prevail? No, and that would, that's out of the question. Right nice. now they're outspending us 20 to one. Um, and I, you know, that may not change very much, um, but you know, we have you know, an extremely strong coalition of public health and social justice uh, and kids advocacy groups, you know, American Cancer Society, American Heart Association, American Lung Association, the California State PTA, the California Medical Association, the African American Tobacco Control Leadership Coalition. You know, it's a long, long list. So we just need enough money to convey to the to the voters what this measure is, who's for it, and who's against it. Uh, you know, unfortunately, that 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 costs more and more money in a you know in, in an electoral climate where campaigns have gotten more and more expensive. Yeah, indeed. So um, you mentioned that you think I don't know if words in your mouth, but but did I hear you say you think their main strategy will be? confusion um do, do, you, do you think that they <clears throat> that they try to make any credible arguments here is it more about confusing that yes no question I, I think it will be both um you know typically you know they they have very good pollsters and uh they will poll on whatever arguments work it doesn't matter whether they're truthful um they will, you know, they'll call this an overreach. They'll, uh, they'll, they'll put out phony reports and studies that say it doesn't work. Uh, they'll say that, uh, you know, this is not the, in the purview of government. Um, 
they'll say that uh, it, it, it is uh, racist and will, will and it targets African-Americans, which is actually just the exact opposite of the truth um, because of the tobacco industry's historic predatory marketing of menthol cigarettes in the African-American community. Um, so they're gonna use all these arguments um, and I'm sure some that we haven't even thought of. Uh, and again, it, 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 unfortunately, it's not against the law to lie in a political campaign. And, you know, the tobacco industry is, is known for that. I mean, they've been lying to the public for 60 years about the deadly nature of their product. I mean, for those of us who are old enough, who can, who can forget that classic 1994 congressional hearing where the seven CEOs of all the leading tobacco companies swore that nicotine was not addictive, you know? And in 2006, a federal court convicted the tobacco companies of federal racketeering uh, for deliberately deceiving and, and, and lying to the public. And so there's no reason to believe that this behavior is gonna stop with this election. I think we'll just see a lot more of it. So uh, who do you see as the key voting blocks on, on, on this issue? I mean, I'm, you know, I know it's early in the cycle, certainly getting into this new world of mail-in voting and, and it, that's got some real implications for turnout, but, but how, how do you see kind of like your strengths your, your potential groups who you need to do more messaging with? How does this play out? Yeah, it is. Um, it's, I think it's really early to, to try to figure that out now. And, and honestly, I'm sure they're polling. We haven't really had the opportunity to do much. Um, and polling this far out on a measure like this uh, is probably not gonna do you a lot of good. I mean. Everyone is really focused, all the political energy now is focused obviously on the gubernatorial recall. Uh, so after that's over, I think we'll get a better idea of uh, you know, where our strengths and weaknesses lie. In the, in the past on these issues, I'm, I'm curious as to how this has played out. Um, you know, I imagine you do pretty well with parents on these topics. Um, you know, do, do you have, you know, I, I wonder how 18 to 24 year olds have typically voted on these topics in the past. What, any lessons to take from, from prior fights here on, on sort of where the public tends to come out on these things? Right. Well, the, the, the two uh, most relevant, really the only two uh, measures that have risen to the ballot have both been in San Francisco. Uh, there were, um, um, there, first, there was an electoral effort to overturn the uh, San Francisco law, and then there was a subsequent initiative to replace the San Francisco law. Um, and so the tobacco industry lost on both counts by pretty sizable margins. But that was, uh, you know, that was San Francisco, a very progressive electorate. Um, I, I think the tobacco industry may have thought that they were, it would be easier to, to uh, play their game there, but uh, we were able to, to, to stop that. But, um, you know, not clear how much more difficult that's gonna be in a statewide environment. But we, we did well across all the demographics in San Francisco, age, race, income, party, affiliation. Uh, once people really understand what this is, you know, that, that, that this is an effort to stop the tobacco industry's, you know, blatant targeting of kids uh, to lure them into a lifetime of addiction. Um, 
it, it becomes a pretty easy vote. Uh, and so nothing in LA County that actually went to initiative? I know there's some big uh, no, council not issues yet. There's, there. There's, okay. there's a legislative effort currently underway. And well, actually, LA County, right, you're right. LA County itself passed a very strong measure. The industry tried to um, overturn it in court and were unsuccessful. They did not try an initiative or a referendum down there. Um, we're currently working on getting a measure passed by the LA City Council as opposed to the LA County Board of Supervisors. Um, but that, that has not come to fruition yet. But we're hopeful that we're gonna be able to continue this streak of getting local jurisdictions to pass these measures before the statewide referendum. So people will come more accustomed to what they're all about and you know, see that they work. Uh, you know, we've passed them in a lot of big state cities like San Francisco and Sacramento and Long Beach and Oakland, uh, but we're working on passing them you know, as we speak in the city of Los Angeles, city of uh, San Jose, uh, and uh, the city of San Diego. So we're working at the local level to build momentum so that even more people in California will uh, be living with this law before they have to vote on the statewide law. And of course, it's a backstop in, in case the tobacco companies were successful at statewide level. Of course, the municipal ordinances would continue, correct? That's right. The local, the local ordinances remain in effect, whether or not uh, the, the state law passes. The state law does not preempt the local law. Um, and in fact, locals can are free to uh, pass ordinances that are even stronger than, than the state law would be. That was going to be my next question is, are there examples of municipalities doing that going further than the state law? What, what would, uh, in, in what ways have they gone further? Yes, um, there are, um, there are a, a few kind of minor exemptions in the state law. Uh, it doesn't, uh, it exempts hookah, it exempts premium cigars and pipe tobacco. But uh, most of the cities in California that have passed local ordinances, you know, do not exempt anything. Um, so that's an example where local ordinances uh, can, are stronger than the state law, will continue to be stronger than the state law, and in the future can continue to enact uh, measures which are stronger than the, the state floor, if you will, which is, you know, it's a very, it's a very solid foundation but the local jurisdictions are free to, to exceed that. So a little bit minutes left, I, I wanna kind of ask you to peer into the future and talk about what's next um, beyond this referendum, which we certainly hope you'll succeed in. Mm -hmm. um, I know there's been talk forever about federal action on this topic. Can, can you give us kind of a sense of where that stands? Yeah. Any, any hope yeah. of that getting dislodged? Uh, unfortunately, the, the, the federal government has been dragging its feet on this issue uh, for at least 12 years. You know, in 2009, the uh, uh, Congress passed legislation that gave the uh, Food and Drug Administration the authority to regulate tobacco. Uh, they have been able to regulate electronic cigarettes and all other forms of tobacco since then. They largely have not. Um, and it has allowed this whole new industry uh, to flourish unregulated in uh, you know around the country, so and that is that is why states and localities have proceeded all this time to enact local and state laws because the federal government has 
you know, has fallen down on the job. Um, and even now with a, uh, you know, the, the federal government has taken some steps to take some electronic cigarettes off the market, but they just, the, 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 the FDA exceeded a court order deadline this week to, to rule on whether um, all uh, uh, electronic, uh, you know, cigarette products can remain on the market. Um, so it's just, a, it's another example of the federal government just dragging its heels on this. Same is true of menthol cigarettes. When the federal government in uh, 2009 prohibited the manufacture of flavored cigarettes, they specifically exempted menthol cigarettes. Uh, and menthol cigarettes have you know, remained on the market since then. And menthol cigarettes are something that the tobacco industry has used explicitly, deliberately, and despicably to target the African-American community. Menthol cigarettes are more heavily uh, marketed in the African-American com community. Uh, there are more tobacco stores in black communities. The, the price of menthol cigarettes is actually less in African-American communities. Um, you know, and, all of, and, and there are studies that show that menthol is easier to start and harder to quit. And so it's not surprising as a result of all of this that African-American smokers smoke menthol about four times at about a four times greater rate than white smokers. Um, and you know, consequently have the highest lung cancer rates and uh, you know, die of, of, of tobacco-related disease at a much higher rate. So you know, this kind of exemption from menthol cigarettes is something that this bill would again eliminate. And that's why, you know, again, the the the, the flavors are a, a lure for the kids for electronic cigarettes, but the tobacco industry has been using flavors for a long time. And the use of menthol combustible cigarettes is an excellent example of that, which has somehow become exempt from federal regulation. And we need to, you know, we need to get those things off the shelves now. So, so Jim, you've mentioned the African-American targeting a bit. I, I wonder if there's any particular issues that happen in the Latino community where, where a plurality of Latino stay down and growing every day. Uh, how, how does this play out there? It's, it's not as blatant as it has been in the African-American community. And actually, the, the LGBTQ community is another community that has been uh, expressly targeted uh, by the tobacco industry, you know, the tobacco industry goes into, into those communities as it has gone into black communities to sponsor community events and music events to promote their product and, you know, saturate those neighborhoods with tobacco advertising and lower cost cigarettes. Um, we're seeing some of that in the, in the Latinx community, but it hasn't risen to what we've seen in the black and the LGBTQ communities at this point. Interesting. Okay, so um, obviously hugely important issue. I know it's early in the cycle to be talking about it. Part of the reason I want to raise this now is our listeners are a lot of insiders. And um, if you're an insider and you're listening, you're an opinion influencer. You know, you've, you've got a role in helping educate other people about this. And ultimately, we, we know we have some journalists who listen. We know we have some Ed board members who listen. These are people who are going to weigh in, who are going to have a say. And you are, all of our listeners are leaders in one way or another. So I hope you're, you will help spread the word about this over time. This is such an important topic. And to our listeners, if you want to get involved, you can visit yes to protectkids.org. That's yes, the letters T O 
protectkids.org. Jim, uh, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for everything you're doing. I hope you'll keep us up to date on this as this goes forward. We would love to have you back next year to talk about it more. Uh, but really, thanks for fighting a good fight. We hope you can get over the finish line. We'd love to do that and really appreciate the opportunity. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. The Nation State of Play podcast is produced by IVC Media in San Diego, California. We invite you to share story ideas, comments, and questions. Find us at NeptuneOps.com or on Twitter at at NationStateOfP1. Again, that's at NationStateOfP and then the number one. Follow us and subscribe to listen to all of our episodes as we continue to explore the inside stories driving California policy. This is the Nation State of Play podcast, exploring the inside political stories driving public policy in California. Powered by Neptune Ops and presented by IVC Media. I'm your host, Brian Miller, and thank you for listening. Coming this fall, IVC Media presents the Cannabis Enlightened Podcast, brought to you in part by March and Ash. My name is Chris Cantori, and let's meet your host, Dr. Leroy Brady. My name is Leroy Brady. I'm a PhD. I am a college professor. I teach business at San Diego City College. I've been doing that for 21 years, uh, going on 22 now pretty quick. Um, one of the things that I really find exciting about what I'm doing recently is that I'm working in the cannabis space. I'm teaching a course called The Business of Cannabis, which is exciting. Very quickly, I'm becoming the professor that knows the most about cannabis, the business of cannabis, and working with our various cannabis partners here in San Diego. So, Dr. Leroy, tell us about the Cannabis Enlightened podcast. Cannabis Enlightened is going to be different. It's not going to be telling you what not to do. It's not going to be telling you that this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. It is going to be bringing out some facts that you probably don't know about cannabis. It's going to be more than cultivation and to the dispensary. It is going to be bringing cannabis home to the individual so that you know that cannabis and what comes from cannabis can aid us in our health today and in the future. Well, Dr. Leroy Brady, we certainly look forward to the Cannabis Enlightened podcast here with March and Ash and IVC Media. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun.